I am Larry Niven. I'm Robert J. Sawyer. I'm Kevin J. Anderson. I'm Jody Lynn Nye. My name is Nina Kariki Hoffman. My name is Larry Elmore. I'm Sean Cameron Michael. Hi, I'm Edwin Gaggiano. My name is Kelton Jones. I'm Jim Eskimen. Welcome to the 35th anniversary of the L. Ron Hubbard Presents Writers of the Future and the 30th anniversary of the L. Ron Hubbard Presents Illustrators of the Future. Welcome to Geek Out with Angie Fiedler Sutton, an ongoing discussion on geeky topics. Hello, fellow geeks. Angie here, welcoming you to my first time trying to do this podcast twice a month. We'll see how long I can maintain the schedule. I've attended and covered the Writers and Illustrators of the Future Awards before. Attending this award ceremony is always fun, and this year, back in April, was no different. This was the 35th annual awards ceremony, and the theme this year was Retro Robotics. The anthology was introduced by Galaxy Press President John Goodwin. Each year, the contest winners are showcased in an original anthology that is widely used in high school and college writing programs. It is the benchmark that budding authors and artists use to measure just how good they need to be. And it is now my honor and privilege to officially release L. Ron Hubbard Presents Writers of the Future, Volume 35. The ceremony had a keynote, Intro to Science Fiction, by journalist Ed Hulse. He finished his keynote with the following. Now, these storytellers all contributed mightily to the evolution of science fiction. And now, you winners, you're part of that evolution. You represent a new generation of writers alternately building upon and superseding literary traditions that are now more than a century old. Yours are the ideas and concepts that will shape science fiction for years to come. I look forward to seeing how you'll respond to the challenge of making our favorite genre relevant to the readers of tomorrow. This year's ceremony also gave a Lifetime Achievement Award to illustrator Bob Eggleton, who also illustrated the cover for this year's anthology. Here's parts of his speech. It's funny about awards, because I have a lot. Hugo's, Chesley's. I have a Rondo Award, a Rondo based on Rondo Hatton, the classic horror uh, actor. And I have a Mangled Skyscraper Award, it's called, and it's from the Godzilla Society of North America. And we have a Godzilla Society of North America, I kid you not. But how does one really measure your success? Is it awards or is it the fact I'm doing it? I'm living the career I love. I paint, I draw, I illustrate lots of unknown and known things, and somehow I'm still doing it 36 years later. I take a cue from the great director Francis Ford Coppola, who said in an interview recently, when you're young and you get fired for stuff later in life, they give you lifetime achievement awards for it. Because you did things a little different and you didn't fit in. Well, here I am. And that describes me totally. Actually, I believe we're all, we all are creative. I was born creative. Um, I knew at a very young age what I wanted to do. I knew at four years old what I wanted to do. Um, when I first uh, saw some great things of fantastic nature, I said, this is what I'm going to do. But I just believe that it gets drummed out of you as, uh, at a very early age, people want you to kind of form and fit in, and, they, and, and no matter what, square peg, round hole, square peg, round hole, rinse, repeat, that kind of thing. I love the landscapes and the work of, of nature and action, and I love, I go, go to the coast, I paint oceanscapes and all kinds of things. 
And kind of this goes back to the big explosion in space, you know what I mean? And, and as Carl Sagan once said, uh, we are made of star stuff. And the elements in the rocks, it's all, it's all within me. It's all within all of us, you know? Anyway, I'm thrilled and honored being presented with this award to you, anybody, any of you guys starting younger. It's another world. The one I started my career off in myself. But I'll tell you this, don't give up. Just keep at it. Keep at it, keep at it. And I want to thank L. Ron Hubbard, who began these contests with a culture is as rich and capable of surviving as it has imaginative artists. You will always find new ways of achieving things, but stick with being creative and have the passion. The role of the artist is to show something beyond the world of the mundane. We make the world better, okay? There were also some great speeches from some of the winners. Listen to part of the speech from writer Wolf Moon. My precious. <laughs> I do not deny that I have greatly desired this. For 25 years, I have been trying to win this contest. Thank you. I love this contest. I have always loved this contest. I love this contest because it celebrates excellence in writing and in art. One of the winners, Preston Dennett, submitted 47 times prior to winning this year, earning 12 honorable mentions over the years. Uh, I started entering this contest back in 1988 while living in Topanga Canyon. I entered 12 times and I got 12 rejections. I gave up. I gave up on my lifelong dream of becoming a science fiction writer. I sold all my books. The only ones I kept were the eight volumes of the Writers of the Future contest, which I actually wept as I boxed them up and put them in the closet. Couldn't give them up. Fast forward about 17 years, I was getting old, and I realized my dream of becoming a science fiction writer was slipping away from me. So I immediately decided, I'm going I'm to start again. I'm going to give it a try. First thing I did, of course, was look up the Writers of the Future contest and was delighted to see it was still going on and immediately started entering every single quarter. <laughs> yeah, I racked up a bunch of honorable mentions but couldn't seem to get past that barrier until I was browsing the Writers of the Future forum. Huge shout out to the people on the forum. I learned more from you guys, really, than anywhere else. And I uh, came upon this thread about not giving up. Thought, that's right up my alley. Let's check this out. <laughs> One guy said, don't worry, I would never give up. I've heard the story of Topanga Canyon. I got a cold chill. I'm like, what's this story about Topanga Canyon? Turns out, this comes from a workshop taught by Dean Wesley Smith, one of our esteemed judges, about the importance of not giving up. He talked about a writer named Topanga Canyon, uh, who all the editors were actually talking about. They were all wondering who was going to be the first to publish his story when suddenly he disappeared off the face of the earth. And uh, I came back, and that really, you know, I found out like I discovered a secret identity. <laughs> 
I was devastated and elated. I wish there were a word for that. And, uh, but it gave me the inspiration I needed to keep on entering, which I did. And on that 47th try, I got that call from Joni that I had won second place. And I couldn't have been happier. So a huge shout out to Dean, for Dean Wesley Smith, for bestowing me with that secret identity. <laughs> Finally, I'd just like to thank all of you, everyone in this room, for making me a very, very, very happy man. Aliyah Chen took home the Grand Prize Illustrator Award. Here's part of her speech. Yeah, I don't, I don't even know what to say. Um, honestly, I struggled so much, I guess, throughout my life with confidence in my art abilities. That's why, for my major in college, I chose um, engineering and not art. Um, <laughs> um, but this contest and so many people have um, really helped me realize that art is a possibility and honestly if you have a passion for something and you work hard for it um, it's going to be possible if you work hard and you love what you do um, there's nothing that can stop you so for me um, this and this contest just really represents that it represents that um, my dreams are possible i don't have to be scared of rejection, and even if rejection happens, um, that's only an experience that will make me stronger and help me try harder. Andrew Dykeskull took home the Grand Prize Writer Golden Pen Award. Here's part of his speech. But what makes this the, the, the greatest honor for me, and it's just incredible, are the, the rest of the cohort and the company that I've been permitted to keep this week and the company that, that Thanatos Drive has found itself in. That's the test. That's what makes this feel like it's worth everything in the world, is to look at the stories that are in that anthology along with mine and to take those as the standard to which it has been held and, and found sufficient. It's just unbelievably humbling to, to look at these people who are the writers of the future, and be counted among them, and be able to look forward to what they and we are going to go on to do next. Prior to the ceremony, I managed to interview a few of the judges, presenters, and other celebrity attendees on the red carpet. I am Larry Niven. I'm here because I'm a judge for the, for the contest, for the writer's contest. Now, you've done this a number of years. Uh, what would you say uh, was different about this year's entries? It, it, it's in a different place, <laughs> an elegant place. I, I like the look. What do you look for in the stories that you are uh, judging? I've got a bias for science fiction, but it's not heavy. I've written fantasy, too. And other than that, I look for an excellent story. I don't look for, for style, particularly, but if a style fits, it, it gets points. Awesome. And if there was somebody that was wanting to become a writer, what would be your piece of advice for them? Uh, writing for the writers of the future is a good career move. Uh, okay, and then if somebody wanted, if you could go back in time and tell you one piece of advice that would help you in your career, what would it be? Don't work with Robert Mandel. And then uh, what's next on your plate? Uh, I've got a couple of novels going, collaborations, and a story that, that's trying to shape itself about, about an old, older de detective that I worked with when I was in my 40s. Awesome. And then one more thing. What are you currently watching, reading, whatnot, that you're like really super geeking out about? American Gods by Neil Gaiman. Awesome. The TV show and the book? Or? The TV show. Awesome. Um, who's your favorite character? 
I don't need a favorite character. They all interact very well. I'm Robert J. Sawyer, and I'm one of the writer judges for the Writers of the Future contest. And you've done this a number of years. What would you say are the, were the big differences in this year's entries? Well, we're doing audio right here, but we're standing by this gigantic robot statue that was made from Bob Eggleton's cover painting for this year's anthology. They've never done anything quite that elaborate before, and it's absolutely gorgeous. And we're at a, new, a different venue this year, a lovely uh, uh, new complex that we're enjoying. So we try to keep it fresh every single year. And for the writers that you uh, judged, what was you know what what kind of trends were you seeing this year? It's always better prose. Every year the writers get better at their craft. And you know people used to think of science fiction and fantasy as kind of just a crass commercial genre. Every single year we see finer and finer quality of wordsmithing. The language is beautiful, and I'm so proud to be a judge and be able to pick the best of the best. It's really tough because the best of the best is spectacular to choose who's first, who's second, who's third. They're so close to perfection in every case. And what do you look for when you're judging these pieces? I look for ambition. I look for somebody who is trying something that stretches them as a writer. So it's got to be a, a very difficult character or a very complex plot or very convoluted language, but something that says to me that they aren't just phoning it in. They are trying their absolute best to knock the judges' socks off. If they're trying their best and they do it, they're almost guaranteed to win. Um, what's the one piece of advice you'd give yourself if you could travel back in time to when you were first starting out as to how to do it? Perseverance. We have a winner this year who has won on his 47th entry into the contest. We're only going 35 years, but we do it four times a year. So there have been 140 times you could have entered this contest. And he did it about a third of those times he would enter the contest. And he's finally a winner. Perseverance, number one. Just keep your seat in the chair and write, write, write. Awesome. And then what are you currently working on? I have a new novel coming out called The Oppenheimer Alternative. It's an alternate history about the Manhattan Project. Okay. And then what are you currently geeking out about? What are you watching, reading, listening to that you're just super excited about? Discovery. In fact, I was sad to be taken, Star Trek Discovery, be taken away from Toronto where I watch it every week. And fortunately, my friend just wrote to me today to say, I found a viewing party here in Los Angeles you can attend. So I'm going to get caught up on the two that I've missed. So I'm, I'm thrilled. What about it do you like? It is the only Star Trek since the original that I felt really gripped by from the very first episode. They are really exploring the mythology of Gene Roddenberry's Star Trek. They're not trying to be their own different thing. They're saying, okay, what was in the original Star Trek that didn't get enough exploration instead of, oh no, we don't want to do Klingons, we want to do something to make our own mark. They're really building on the classic, and I'm loving that. I'm Kevin Che Anderson, and I'm one of the judges of Writers of the Future. Now, I've interviewed you before, and you've done this before. Um, what would you say was new about this year's entries? Well, this year's entries, as, as judges, we only read the, the grand prize ones. And I, it's hard to say because every year, like, the genres shift a little bit. Some years it's, like, big science fiction. Some years it's fantasy. This year was just this a grab bag mix of some really good stuff. And, you know, it intimidates us as judges to see these, like, big, fast sports cars coming right up behind us because these guys are not, like amateurs starting out they're well they are but they really know how to write and they know how to tell stories and the breadth of imagination that i'm seeing is really cool like the stories are so different you read through the book and it's just different things and i'm getting to you know meet them as we teach them all week long and it's just an impressive crowd and i'll 
the things that are different in these recent years as opposed to, I've been a judge for 20, 25, 27 years, something like that, is the publishing world is changing so much and a lot of these people are going to go on to become in successful independent authors or do their own ebooks or their own audiobooks and things rather than trying to send something to an agent to get published at a big New York publishing house. And so the entire attitude of them learning their trade is different because a lot of times they know as much about the changing field as we do as we're trying to adapt to it as well. So it's dinosaurs struggling to become mammals all at the same time. What are you currently working on? I have a gigantic new epic fantasy that comes out in June called Spine of the Dragon. I've worked two years on it. Big epic Game of Thrones type except I will finish mine. It's a trilogy. I'm working on the second book right now and the point of being a writer is to try to push the envelope and to do a little bit better than you did the last time and I really feel like I raised the bar on this one for me, so I'm very happy with it. I'm Jody Lin Nye. I'm one of the judges of the uh, the writer judges for the Writers of the Future contest. Okay, and I will ask you the same question I've been asking all the other judges. You've done this before. Um, what would you say was different about this year's entries? There was some really splendid world building in this year. I was very, very impressed by it. Some things with little details that I just didn't see coming and thought that was delightful. And what would you say, um, did you see any like any kind of trends in terms of new stuff this year? There were a lot of present tense told stories. I know that is becoming a thing to someone who has been reading as long as I have. It's a little bit jarring and I have my own feelings about when that's appropriate and when it isn't because it, it gives you an immediacy to the story that if the story doesn't merit it, then it feels a little odd. But I think that there's there have been stories in this that the energy required it. And then I'll ask you the question I always ask my writers. What is the one piece of advice you'd give to someone who is wanting to be a writer? Write. Don't stop. Don't let anyone deter you from your dream because you have a vision. And we're, we're writers, sure. But we, have to, we want to read other people's work. And we want to read yours. We want to hear your voice. So please give yourself permission to go ahead and succeed. And then a variation on it. If you could go back in time to when you were first starting out, what would be the one thing you would tell yourself? Submit something else. <laughs> I sent a story to Stan Schmidt at Analog, and he sent me back a personalized critique letter. And he said, we've seen this plot before, but I really love your style. Please send me something else. I would go back and tell my 19-year-old self, send him something else. Because I didn't. I chickened out. And I told Stan last spring about that, and he said, chide, 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 because he meant it. If he's... What you don't know is when you get a rejection letter, most of the time they're just simple form letters. Thank you very much. This does not meet our needs at this time. Anything up from that, up into including critiques, comments, help, offers to buy something else, is, is gradations ab above higher and higher and higher. If I sent him something else, I probably could have sold it to him. And I... And I'm still kicking myself about it all these years later. But I say to other young people, do it. Please. <laughs> and then what are you currently working on? That I'm working on three things at once. I'm working on collaborations with two other writers. One, a completely new plot that neither of us have worked in that world before. I'm working with another writer who has a very established world, and he invited me in. So that, that is going to be a lot of fun. And I've been writing the Myth Adventure series after my partner, Robert Asprin. Yes. I'm working on the third one that I've done since, he, since we lost him. So, plus short stories, and I've got two or three series that I'm going to propose to other people. 
Okay, and then the name of my podcast is called Geek Out. My tagline is everyone is geeky about something. What are you currently watching, reading, listening to that you're just like super geeky about and super interested in telling everybody about? Oh, wow. One of the things that I've been geeky about lately is my friend Barbara taught me to knit, and that has been a lot of fun because I'm discovering that there's a massive, crazy, amazing community of like-minded people who are, are crafty and fun and willing to share their knowledge. And that too will engender some sort of uh, some literary thing. What about it draws you? When, when you're writing, you're doing things mostly with your mind. And we all need things that we can just do physically that don't engage the mind. You know, apart from making sure that you still have the same number of stitches at the end of the row as you did when you started the row. You can create beautiful things. And also you're, you're working with your hands and that also feeds your brain in a way. And that's, that's terrific too. And it's nice to be able to do things for people. I am perfectly happy to make something and give it away because I've had the fun of making it. It's like when I do calligraphy. That's, that, that's, that's my main art form and has been for uh, gods and since college. I used to do calligraphy when I was young. And now I'm going to be teaching my friend's six-year-old. So she's, she's very excited about it. I'm very excited about it because I get to do that. And I get to relive my old passion. Now with knitting, I find it interesting. I'm, I'm sure it never actually went away, but I, I, I'm with you. I've noticed this huge surge, especially online, of people just finally coming forward and admitting, yes, they knit. And I'm wondering, I, I, you know, I'm curious what caused it. Was it just the Internet? Was it, you know, something else? I think people are want things in real life. I think that we live online so much that we relish face-to-face conversations. We relish actually doing something physical. When you've been playing a video game and all you've been doing is tap, 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 tapping on the screen or typing in a command and having something happen, but none of it's real. It's all pixels. So when you're doing something like doing woodwork or metalwork or cooking, I'm a keen cook and I'm a crazy baker. I make all the weird cakes for my family. It's something real and other people can enjoy it with you. So, for anyone who is interested in knitting, Ravelry.com is a website that is an entire community that offers free patterns and uh, helps you pick out things for the yarn and tells you about yarn. And I have found that to be a really interesting place to lose a couple of hours. It's, it's like going down the rabbit hole that is Wikipedia. So my name is Neil Tashada. I'm a volunteer at the Kurt Vonnegut Museum and Library in Indianapolis, Indiana. And I've been geeking out with Angie Fiedler Sutton. So it goes. You can find me on various social media at Angie F. Sutton. I also have a Patreon on that handle. For as little as $1 a podcast, you can support Geek Out, get the audio files a little bit sooner than the rest of the world, and receive behind-the-scenes stories from all of my episodes. On my newest Patreon, Broadleaf Books. Don't forget to give me a review over on iTunes or Stitchers. The more reviews of this podcast, the easier other people are able to find it. Also, be sure to sign up for my monthly newsletter and see all the places you can now listen to this podcast at over at AngieFSutton.com. And now, back to my coverage of the 2019 Writers and Illustrators of the Future Awards. My name is Nina Kariki Hoffman, and I am a judge of the contest, although I was in the very first volume as a winner. I was a writer. What would you say was the hardest part of, of entering the contest and doing this? Well, back then, you know, nobody knew what it was. It was just like... I went to Clarion in 1982 and Algis Budris was one of my teachers and he was the first contest administrator and so he wrote to all his students and said enter this contest so we just entered it. 
And obviously you got a lot out of it, but what would you say was the number one thing that you really got out of winning and, and being involved with it? Well, it was thrilling to meet a lot of luminaries in the field, like Harlan Ellison was there, Roger Zelazny, Ray Bradbury. It was amazing. And Harlan told me and my brother a joke. And that was great. It was like, it was a really nice uh, looking forward to the world that maybe I join someday. And then what advice would you give to anybody who was looking to enter the contest? Do it every quarter. Get a story in there and do it until you win or until you sell too much to actually be in the contest. And then I ask this to all the uh, writers I interview, if you could go back in time to when you were first starting out, what would be the one piece of advice you'd give yourself? Keep going. And then what are you working on now? Uh, I'm working on a number of short stories. Nothing that I can say this is sold or anything like that. Anything else that you'd like to talk about? No, I think that's it. My name is Larry Elmore, and I'm one of the artist judges for this competition. I briefly interviewed you two years ago. You've obviously judged this before. What would you say was different about this year's entries? Uh, well, they keep getting better all the time. It's like every year you think, wow, they can't get much better. And then, you know, they just go up a notch. I mean, some of them, their portfolios, they look like they they could be working now. I mean, you know, they're, they're good. But this contest really gives them that big push. That, that extra and the teaching that goes on here or mentoring however whatever the correct word is for it is super valuable for writers and artists I mean they learn so much in a short time that you know it took me 20 years to learn some of this <laughs> and uh, and and it's, it's a shortcut it's a big jump ahead it's like oh get out here and more in front of the line you know and it really does help so much and thankfully, I know last year, uh, I was at a convention in Arizona, a small convention, and a young guy walks up to me to show me his portfolio. It was so good, and I'm like, how can I help this guy? You know, what can I do? And I thought, oh, the competition. And I told him all about it. I said, if you hurry, you can get into the last quarter of this year. Okay, so when I come out last year for this award ceremony, I saw him, he ran and hugged me, and. He'd won a quarter, that quarter, and then when the when all this was over, he was overall winner. So it really changes it up just by me telling him that, because it's such a wide open, unique con- competition contest, and it's it's not so much as a competition because once the winners are here, they all become a brotherhood. Just about they're all together and helping each other. But it's a big feather in your cap. It's a big kick in your pants to get you going. Uh, it's, or giving you a, a big giant step out there in the competition. So, yeah, it's a very good competition. I try to tell young artists, or all artists, if they're good, no matter what age, no matter what, if your art is good, it will speak for you because we judge blindly. We don't know your name, your age, your what country you're from, anything. Your art speaks for you. It's as fair as you can get at judging a competition. I'm Sean Cameron Michael. I'm an actor. I've been doing this for 30 years and I'm starting to get better at uh, the craft of acting. Um, tonight I'm a presenter, presenting an award to an illustrator and a writer, so that's very, very exciting. Yeah, I've been coming to this award show for the past 
four years, mm -hmm. and it's um, it's really exciting. It's really exciting to see what you know what talents out there, and especially you know when it's writers and illustrators from literally all over the world. It's exciting to see people you know get opportunities that they would never normally get. Mm -hmm. Are you a I'm big in. genre fan? I've done quite a bit of sci-fi myself. I, I, I clearly have the face for post-apocalyptic, you know. The it's guy, the beard. It's the beard. It's the stubble, right? <laughs> the father whose son has died in a post-apocalyptic world. And, uh, yeah, I mean, I, I, I did a movie a couple of years ago called um, Last Broken Darkness, which sort of did the sort of whole festival circuit, um, which we made in South Africa on a tiny, tiny budget. Yeah, so that was, that was lots of fun to do. And then I also did a short film called Tears in the Rain, which was sort of paying homage or homage to obviously Blade Runner. So um, yeah, and that sort of won a couple of awards at festivals and so, so, so yeah, I mean, I love sci-fi. What about it do you like? I think when I was a young kid, it's, 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 nice, to, it's nice to disappear into a fantasy world. I think, I think what's interesting about it is the society where, we, where we're sort of in right now, it's sort of becoming a reality. So sci-fi, I mean, sci-fi is blending so much with society today. And, and what, I like about it, what I like about it as well is, is the statements it's making, the statements that it's making about governments and global warming, um, that a lot of countries, um, I won't mention anything, who don't want to, who, who are ignoring you know, these facts. You know? So yeah, I, I think, I think sci-fi, as an actor, obviously it's an opportunity to sort of play fun roles and climb into an imaginary world. But I think usually, yeah, no, th th there's usually a message, a strong message behind behind it, yeah. Well, and green screen's just the ultimate acting experience. Oh, yeah, <laughs> acting opposite like a little tennis ball or whatever and imagining that it's an alien or whatever. Oh, no, it's fun. It's lots of fun. It's, uh, it's what we do. I think the, the sort of older that, that I get as an actor, I want to be, I want to be challenged. Mm -hmm. And I recently met with uh, Ridley Scott. He's uh, busy shooting a show at, uh, at the Cape Town Film Studios in Cape Town and funny that and he was um, it was amazing it was amazing to sort of just spend a few hours with him and and sort of talk to him about his new show and and sort of just hear how his mind works so what, what, what um, you know and I think Mr. Scott is Sir Ridley sort of in his 70s now but such an incredible active mind and he you know he's able to really sort of visually or verbally explain to you visually how you know how, how it's all been put together so um, yeah I love the genre um, now, the title of my podcast is Geek Out with Angie Fiedler-Sutton. My, my tagline is everyone is geeky about something. Mm. What are you currently geeking out about? What are you watching, reading, listening to that you've just been telling everybody about? I watch a lot of TV. It's, it's part of my job to watch a lot of to watch a lot of TV, you know, say so if I'm going to get the opportunity to, you know. Have you really been deep diving into? Um, everything. I've been watching American Vandal, the new season of American Vandal. I need to see the second season. Oh my goodness I gracious. I loved the first season. I just haven't had the time. You know, it, it's so funny because I, you know, I, I, I get so absorbed and, uh, you know, what's wonderful about teaming uh, a TV these days and, you know, with streaming services, you can really, you know, binge watch everything. So you sort of get the popcorn, sit down, and then um, what's amazing about American Vandal, you know, each episode's only like sort of 22 minutes. So I sort of watched the whole of season two in one sitting. <laughs> Because it really, really is addictive. So, yeah. What about it uh, did you like? For anybody who hasn't actually watched it yet, I don't, don't want to give too much away. I actually went to a Q&A, and Netflix had a Q&A, so a screening of sort of two, three episodes last night, and then there's a Q&A with the cast and the creators of the show. And, um, yeah, I was, I was really curious to see what, how, you know, how they were going to approach season two. Because season one was like sort of like really out there. And what I, what I loved about season two 
was as a viewer I mean obviously it's supposed to be funny you know it really really is supposed to be funny you know it's a but it's a really really dark you know it's a really really dark humor really dark comedy season two is really really out there it's really crazy and I and I and I still don't I'm still that's I'm so I probably am a geek because I still don't know was it real <laughs> was it real because I mean they, they end off the, the the series and they go well you know this is what happened to this teacher and that's what happened to this kid or whatever so it's really out there and quite disgusting and revolting and um, so yeah and then mm. final question what are you currently working on that people can find you at oh yeah I've got a um, I've got a series coming out on um, on Epics this month it's called Deep State oh, it's yeah. season two. Walton Goggins is the is the lead in that, um, and also Joe Dempsey from Game of Thrones is, is in that as well. We we shot that in uh, in Cape Town, South Africa, and also in Morocco. I'd never been to Morocco before. So, and then later this year, I'm not sure exactly when. Um, I've got a new show coming out on Netflix called Last Days of American Crime, with uh, Edgar Ramirez and Michael Pitt, the most incredibly talented actors and human beings and where can people find you um, I'm on social media Sean C Michael um, so I'm on Twitter and Instagram Facebook yeah I'm all over the place hopefully not in my performance yeah hi I'm Edwin Gaggiano I'm an actor and uh, producer okay and uh, tell me a little bit about where we would know you from Wow that's a good one so I, I started in South Africa my career started when I was 16 and then I progressed into more film and TV work I have worked on a couple TV shows over there that's, that's became pretty well known and got the green card uh, I think 2015 so I, I came over here to work. I worked on a, a film with Kelton who's uh, here with me as well called Dry Blood so we, I, I did more producing on that so that's a recent movie won uh, you know, a, a couple over a dozen awards so we, we were happy with the turnout on that. How different is it producing something in South Africa versus producing something in, in Los Angeles? I'm sure there's vast differences. Angie, that's an awesome question. It's a different world. Um, you know, it's, it's, I don't want to call it the Wild West South Africa because it's kind of in the East, South, kind right. of. but it is kind of like the Wild West in the sense that there are rules that's enforced and, and guidelines, processes, but we don't have as much permitting and, um, you know, union type stuff being enforced. So you can really go and film a movie for $100,000 and you can, you can film a really good film. You, uh, there's, there's a lot of artists out there that's hungry to make films and they do a really good job. In America, I enjoy the structure, you know, there's a structure set in place for a reason so that everyone's benefited and, you know, the right things are done the right way. So it's, uh, I would say on the back-end process, it, it's certainly different, you know, it, it, it can take a little longer in the States, so you have to pass through a lot of uh, processes and processing. But um, I think overall, as you know, you, you can write an, a really good movie and um, you have an incredible actors and then, say for instance, uh, the editing is off then it's kind of, you know, some of the other stuff goes to waste or, you know, vice versa. You get great editing, awesome, you know, shots, but maybe the acting isn't really telling the story as the writer hoped. That stuff plays a role. It's, there's so many aspects that can affect, you know, a production. Now, I've interviewed a couple of producers and it seems like the job description kind of changes depending on the project. How would you define what exactly a producer does? Uh, the producer writes the checks. <laughs> Good answer. And then what would you say is the hardest part of your job? 
writing checks because <laughs> <laughs> well you know in all um, uh, seriousness I think the hardest part is really just finding the right people um, the right projects you know because you, you never know I was lucky on dry blood it already won 16 awards uh, they just had some points that they wanted to fill and I knew some people in Florida so I picked up the phone just you know told them that it'd be stupid not to to jump on it and we, we looked at the forecast but when you start fresh with a project and you kind of have to know the people before you go into it you know it's, that's why we keep working with this with the same people we keep working with the same people over and over as much as we can as much as their schedule allows them to work together but um, th I think it's it's really it's hard when you look at producing because it's really like building a startup company and selling it in eight months and you know it, it has to sell for at least a million yeah it's like starting up little companies because uh, you really actually start a company now the name of my podcast is Angie, uh, Geek Out with Angie Fiedler Sutton my tagline is everyone is geeky about something what's something that you've been watching reading listening to that you've just been super excited about and have been telling everybody about I like to travel so I, I look into a lot of um, how can I synchronize my life with you know traveling and, and working so I like tour buses man I like, I like the whole feel of uh, the whole you know idea of having a nice house on wheels and you know I don't have to pack out my, my, my stuff every time I, I move you know to a different area to work so I've been binge watching a lot of uh, that stuff where I would go I like to look up you know cars my name is Kelton Jones. I'm a uh, producer, director, and actor. I will ask you the same question I asked him. I've interviewed a number of producers. The description, job description seems to change depending on who I talk to and what project they're working on. How would you define what a producer is? Wow. It is a pretty large, covers a lot of things, but uh, ultimately you're the person responsible for making sure that it gets to the screen. So, you know, you're the one responsible making sure that the investors have a movie to show for their time and effort, you know, that they put into it. So you're helping to make sure everything comes together and that it has the best chance it, it can to succeed in the market. And uh, you're here, we're here at the Writers of the Future Award. Are you a genre fan? I'm a huge genre fan. I, lo I love sci-fi. I, I love horror. I love, I, I love films in general. And I love, you know, obviously books and, and films in general. And so it's great to see an event like this that's, bringing to light you know the future writers and what's going to be the you know the media makers of the future and, and people who have you know uh, new stories and new voices to bring to the zeitgeist what about uh, science fiction specifically draws you what why, why do you like it uh, so it's so tough to put your finger on because it's so deeply embedded in who I am <laughs> you know like I, I grew up on Star Trek and Star Wars and Buck Rogers and Farscape and you know like all of the great sci-fi series and films and there's just something about the escapism that is just incredible but there's also a level of, of aspiration of of where can we go as a species you know in, in humanity like like what can we do beyond the the everyday struggles that we see here on on earth like what can we do to to sort of better ourselves and, and sci-fi has a great way of showing us both our darker nature and our, our potential for greatness. And what are you working on currently? Well I've got a film that's coming out on Amazon Prime in two weeks. It's currently available on DVD and Blu-ray on Amazon and it's available on VOD. Uh, dry Blood. Yeah, that's good to know. Uh, so, yeah, Dry Blood's available now through Amazon and through uh, Epic Pictures. Tell us a little bit about it. Uh, so, Dry Blood is a, it's a story of a man struggling with, with his addiction and he's trying to get clean. And in the process of going through the withdrawal, he starts to have uh, hallucinations, you know, these horrible visions. And he is trying to, to get a handle on whether these terrible images he's seeing are a result of 
his his withdrawal symptoms or whether it's something much darker and it's a it's kind of a slow descent into madness but it's a it's a really powerful film that really gets into the the nature of personal responsibility and and how we perceive reality and uh, it's it's done very well it it won uh, best picture at the Bram Stoker Film Festival it won like 30 awards in the festival circuit and so it's it's been very well received and then the name of my podcast is uh, Geek Out with Angie Fiedler Sutton the tagline is everyone is geeky about something Uh, obviously sci-fi is something you're geeky about but what are you currently watching reading listening to that you're just have been super excited to and you're telling everybody about well I just finished the series Hannah I don't know if you've seen that but that's fantastic. The soundtrack's brilliant. The acting's brilliant. What about it drew you? Well, I, I love uh, Joel Kinnaman, the actor, and the lead actress. Uh, I, I can't remember how to say her name. Uh, Mira Bell, you know, uh, she was in The Killing. She's yeah. phenomenal, phenomenal actress. Uh, so I'll watch them make toast. I mean, anything they do, they're, they're great together. And it's a, it, it, it's, it's sort of an uh, updated take on the La Femme Nikita idea which uh, I always loved Luc Besson's films and, and I love what uh, they were doing with that idea. And uh, it's just really well done. It's really well acted. It's really well produced. And uh, it's well directed. It's a, it's a great series. I'm Jim Eskiman. I'm an actor. I've been associated with the contest for many years, uh, but mostly I'm a fan of science fiction. And I love to see new science fiction writers be validated and encouraged. I'm a, I'm a genre podcast. What about mm-hmm. sci-fi uh, do you like? What, why, why that? I like sci-fi because it's a genre that you think you know, but it can be reinvented by every author or every creator. So you pick up a book and you go, oh, it's sci-fi. You know, like a romance novel. You kind of know. You kind of know where it's going. Historical fiction even, you get sort of a clue. But sci-fi, it can be from any viewpoint. In, and really, the universe is not even a limit. So I like that because I, I like to be... I like to be transported, and I like to have my expectations dashed and my imagination kindled. Awesome. Now, the name of my podcast is Geek Out with Angie Fiedler Sutton. My tagline is, everyone is geeky about something. What are you currently watching, listening to, reading, whatever, that you're just super excited about and have been telling everybody about? Hmm. (laughs) Wow. What am I geeky about? Okay, okay, I got one for you. So there's a show called The the Durals of Corfu. It's a British show about this family in the 30s, a British family that moves to Corfu for economic reasons, and, and which are ill-advised. And it is the most gorgeous, funny little show. And it's filmed on Corfu. My God, what a beautiful place. I think it's, unfortunately, I think it's going to do for Corfu what the Peter Jackson movies did for New Zealand. Everybody's going to go there. I'm ready to go. And and it's a very clever, funny, lighthearted television show. And then what are you working on currently? Uh, I've been working on lots of things. uh, I'm writing a screenplay for my living. I do the voice of Colonel Sanders for radio and uh, television. If you've seen a commercial, but you haven't seen a colonel, then you probably heard my voice. Then I also was on SWAT earlier this year as an actor, and I just finished a couple of days on General Hospital. And I'm prepping a n- to work on a new film that I just booked yesterday. So. And then where can people find you? Oh, JimMeskimen.com. Also, I have a YouTube channel. Just look up Jim Meskimen or Jim Impressions, and you will see my uh, celebrity impressions videos and uh, celebrity fortune cookie, which I do every day, where I read a different fortune cookie fortune in a celebrity voice. And now it's time for Angie Geeks Out. I've lived in Los Angeles now for almost five years. While I've managed some of the more touristy locations, there's still quite a few things on my list of things I'd like to do. This past Tuesday, as a belated birthday present to myself, my wife and I did the Warner Brothers Studio Tour. Taking about three hours total, 
The tour is a combination of the tour guide driving you around both the back lot and through sound stages, as well as stopping and walking through some of the buildings. From the Batman picture car vault with several of the Batmobiles, to the Harry Potter exhibit with costumes and props from the various movies, the tour costs about $69 for adults if ordered online, and I got a discount for being a Southern California resident. My favorite had to be the prop room, with everything from the various Maltese Falcons to the White House room, which includes the desk you see in many an on-screen Oval Office, including the West Wing. I could have easily spent several hours just in that building alone. The tour overall was a great geeky experience and ended with an exhibit on script to screen, which showed everything to how the casting process works to special effects. It also ends with a picture and video opportunity that I, of course, had to do, where you got to fly a broom and also drive the Batmobile. The tour also let me get up close to several costumes and props, from Gal Gadot's Wonder Woman's outfits to Superman's cape from the 1979 movie to Harold Hill's trumpet. I took so many photos. Many of them are on my Instagram, and I'll be adding the whole batch to my Flickr account when I have a moment. Be sure to check out my website. While I don't think I'll do the tour again anytime soon, it was a great day and well worth the money spent. If you're in the Los Angeles area, are an entertainment geek for Warner Brothers properties, and have the cash, I recommend it. You can find out more at wbstudiotour.com. And that's a wrap for this episode. Thanks to the folks at Galaxy Press for inviting me to this year's award ceremony, as well as to all those people I talked to at the ceremony. Thanks also to Neil Tosheda for his mid-show plug. You can hear his interview in episode 24, where I covered the 2017 LA Times Festival of Books. Next up, it's time for another Geek Girl interview. This will be the last of the ones I had actually tried to get done in 2014, and is with someone I was introduced to thanks to an article I wrote on fan fiction while interning in London. Until next time, stay geeky! Thanks for listening to Geek Out with Angie Fiedler Sutton. The theme song is Schoolyard Haze by Yari Picknickin, available via the Free Music Archive. This podcast is released under Creative Commons Attribution Non-Commercial Share-Alike License. More information about the podcast is available on AngieFSutton.com.